well, hey, we are uh, moving on in our trek through the book of Ephesians. Have you been enjoying this? My goodness. Um, you know, Ephesians is considered the high water mark of all theology, Pauline theology in the New Testament. It is, is the, remind, maybe it reminds you of something or you don't remember this, that it's one of the only books of the Bible not written to fix a problem. That, you know, you read Corinthians, you're reading Paul addressing problems, and, you know, you're reading different things. The book, the, the revelation to the churches in Asia were problems, basically, and encouragement. And so Ephesians is Paul writing to a group of people he loves, that he cares for. He established their church. He's their founding pastor, writing back to them, and just talking about um, the wonders of, the, of being in Christ, the wonders of being Christian. So we've come to the place in Ephesians where, where Paul ends his explanation of the blessings that are available uniquely to Christians in, in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. We just ended that last week. And, and I would say this. I know we, we preach this through summer. If you missed a number of those sermons, I really recommend you go on the podcast and listen to them. Because I think we're in a situation in the world today where maybe the message of Christ has been, has been um, maybe changed a bit according to what it's supposed to be. And we have judged or valued our blessings by the same set of criteria that the world judges and evaluates their blessings. And so I tried to say to you numbers of times over different weeks, saying, you know, if you judge your life as being blessed by the same criteria as Bill Gates, well, then you're missing the point. And that's what Paul's trying to say. He's going, listen, you've got something infinitely better than money can buy. And he goes through just, so we took week after week to have to look at all of these different blessings that are uniquely Christian. When you come to Christ, you have something the rest of the world doesn't get. And that's what Paul was just using this gigantic, long, run-on sentence in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. It was one grammatically horrendous statement because there's not a period in it in the original language, in the original Greek. And so we, we look at that. And so now we begin a section um, where, that gives us insight into the way that the Apostle Paul prayed for these, these Ephesian believers. And, and I, I think that's awesome. That's what we, what we have here in chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, is what we'll look at for a few weeks. Paul is revealing how he prays. You know, we get insight. I'm so glad that we are privileged to look into this prayer because it reveals to us what Paul viewed as those things which are most important and most needed in the Christian life. These are the things he asked God for, things that he wants for those that he loves. Can you imagine that? We get to literally kind of eavesdrop into Paul's life and find out what he prays for, what he thinks is important. Well, obviously, we can find then by looking at that what's really important for us, right? If we can figure out what he says is important for them, we can figure out what's important for us. By, by looking at what he prays for, we can begin to gain some insight um, into, into, number one, into a powerful prayer life. We're going to see a model of a prayer life here. And then we're going to be able to also look and say, what should I desire and pray for these things in, in our lives so that, that we can gain the things that he says they are so important that I'm going to pray for. And then we can also say, and I can now begin to pray this way for, the, for these things in the lives of the people that I love. And so what amazing things we get to gain by looking into the prayer life of the Apostle Paul. So grab your Bible, open to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read a couple of verses here. We're just going to read the very beginning of his, of his prayer today. 
his kind of introduction. We're starting verse 15, and then the very first words of his, it's all tied to his prayer, but we're going to read this. So verse, chapter 1, starting in verse 15 through verse 17 says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. We'll stop right there. I don't know if Suzanne, if you've even thought about it today, but while Suzanne was praying this morning, she prayed that exact thing, that God would give us a, a, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And I thought, hey, you were peeking at my notes, but you really weren't. So, so as we look at this today, let's first, let's look at what Paul, as we're, we're going to get into his prayer, just the beginning of it today, but let's look at this, this preface to the prayer. Let's look at what Paul says about these people that he's praying for. So I think it's really important for us to, to understand some of the things he's saying about them. He says two things about the people he's praying for in verses 15 and 16. He says, number one, he has heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's talking about he's, he's received a report. And he's heard about how they're doing. Remember, he planted the church and he left. And now he's got a report about him. He's saying, this is what I've heard about you. So he's going to talk about them and give some praise to God for them. Um, and then he's going to be in the pray for them. And he says, so I've heard, first of all, of the faith, of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he said, and I've heard of your love for all the saints. I think we want to look at this before we get into the prayer itself. Notice something. Paul starts, insight into his prayer life, he starts this prayer by giving thanks to God for these people because of their faith and love. Notice that Paul begins his prayer, not by making requests, but by giving thanks. And I think we can learn a lesson here about powerful prayer, because obviously we can conclude that Paul was a man of powerful prayer. That powerful prayer should really start with thanksgiving and praise. You know, yes, we understand about prayer, there are requests to be made, but never forget that prayer is simply about talking to God. Prayer is about talking to this good and beautiful God who loves us and is out for our good. And the foundation of faith-filled prayer, which is powerful prayer, the foundation of faith-filled prayer is the history of God's goodness toward us. It's what, he's, what we already know about God. I pray in faith about my current situation. I pray in faith about what might happen tomorrow in the future when I recall God's past blessings towards me, how God has come through and what God is like and who He really is. It builds my faith. So Paul, wanting the best for these he loves, begins his prayer with praise and thanksgiving for the blessings that they have already received. Now, isn't that what Jesus also taught us to do when He taught us to pray? In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus begins the Lord's Prayer with what? He says, no, I'm going to teach you how to pray. And when you pray, I want you just to get down, get your list, and demand all the things you need from God. Is that what he said? No. In the Lord's Prayer, what's he teach us? He teaches us to start with praise and thanksgiving. The very first line, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
he praises God to start with because he knows God's goodness and his widespread mercy and he is thankful for who he is and what he has done. And he trusts God's goodness towards those people that he's praying for. So we understand with Paul, we understand what Jesus is teaching that that powerful prayer starts with praise and thanksgiving to God. Now there's things in particular that Paul here in his Ephesus situation is praying for and he's praising God for, that he's thankful for. Paul is, is praising God and thankful because, we said, the reports that he had received about the Christians in Ephesus reveal what we would look at as the two main things that define genuine faith. Some people have said this, that these two things are the, are the two hallmarks of genuine Christian faith. That Paul could look at them and say, you guys got it going on by these two statements. He says, number one, he prays and thanks God because they had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they had love for all the saints. This report really reveals something. In two little phrases, it reveals something. It reveals that, really, spiritually, these people are doing pretty well. They're on track with God. It says, first of all, they had faith in Jesus. And friends, we know something. There's all kinds of people who have faith in all kinds of stuff. A while back in the church world, the buzz was have faith in faith. Well, guess what? Paul looks at it different. Paul looks at what's really real, and he says, you know what? You people have faith in Jesus. And friends, that's saving faith. They had put their trust in Jesus alone for their, for their salvation. Paul had heard the reports of how they were trusting in Jesus for their salvation, that, that, and it blessed him. Because, and he, he gave praise to God for it because this was the, the church that he started and the people were still on the right track. That church was still leading people to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, listen, friends, that's something to give praise to God about. As I was preparing this message just this last week, I was in the midst of preparing it. I think it was a lunch break and I, I looked on Facebook and I came across on Facebook some postings from a church that Suzanne and I planted in Marquette, Michigan. 1991 to 2001, we poured our lives into planting a church. That's a phenomenal church in, in Marquette, Michigan. And you know what the pictures were of? This huge crowd of people being baptized in Lake Superior with the new pastor and the number of people that I recognize standing on the bluff of Lake Superior and a whole bunch of people that I had never met never knew and never will know that are putting their faith and their trust in Jesus and they're going they're saying I believe in this so much baptize me publicly in the shore and you got to be in all in man if you'll be baptized in Lake Superior <laughs> I make sure our baptistry when I put it up it's always warm you baptize in Lake somebody in Lake Superior you're all in you know what so I can relate to what Paul's saying here he's saying you know what this is something to celebrate He's looking back and he goes, I just want to praise God. You have faith in Jesus. True faith. And the second thing that he hears from this report that's revealed is that they don't only say they have faith in Jesus, but it says they have faith in Jesus as their Lord. And I'm sure Paul chose his words very carefully here. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen what he's penning. And he says to them, you know what? I'm, that, that, that Jesus was Lord to them. And there's something I've learned about this. I thought about this 
as I was thinking about Lord, because I, I was tempted to actually go into a whole sermon on lordship, and I thought I've talked about that a bit lately, and I don't want to do that, but I did think about this, about lordship. And it's this, that it takes people a while to mature from spiritual infancy to the place where they realize that Jesus is really supposed to be the Lord of their lives. Where they understand this thing, they, they kind of understand that God's really out for their good. And he, they can trust Him and that the best thing they could ever do is come in line under Him and behind Him that He's not looking to squash anybody. He's looking to lift you up. And that all comes through following Him. You know, that, that, that it takes some maturity to understand that, that it's not giving up to come under the Lordship of Jesus. Matter of fact, it's gaining to come under the Lordship of Jesus because then you gain all the resources and all the wisdom and all the knowledge and all the blessings that he has in store for you. And what he's saying about this group of people is he says, you know what? You guys are getting it. You have faith in Jesus as your Lord. He's saying, you know what? That's one of the hallmarks of of you guys doing well. You're doing really well. So the reports told Paul that these Christians were were doing well spiritually in the fact that, you know, they have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he, he talks about another part of the report that reveals something about their the practical expression of that. He says it revealed from the reports, and he's giving praise to God for this, remember, that they have love for all the saints. It says you have, I thank God that you have love for all the saints, for all God's disciples. Well, he's just once again, kind of like the Lord's Prayer, just kind of following in line with the teachings of Jesus. Jesus had said in his ministry that they'll know that you are my disciples by your what? By your giving to the church? No. That's important. By your love. For whom? One another. These Christians were living this out in their life. Paul talks about it. You're living it out. Their faith was evident to all, it says, through their love for one another. Now notice something. It says again, there's no wasted words in Scripture. It says that they had love. It didn't say they have love for the saints. It says they had love for all the saints. Now, when I read that, I, I thought of something. And what I often do when I'm preaching, I'm just trying to see what messes with me and then mess you with it. Mess around with your brain, too, and your thinking. And I see this, and I see it as a challenge. I look at this, and I go, there's a challenge here for us. And I ask myself the question, do we really love all the saints? Even in this, in this church realm, can we say we love all the saints? And by love, it doesn't mean that you have warm, fuzzy feelings towards them. I think Dallas Willard's definition of love is the best definition of love there is. It means willing the best for another person. That you really are so concerned with them, you will the best for them. And looking around, do I say, do I really will the best, meaning love all the saints? I want to tell you something. I've been around the saints for a while now. 25 years lead pastor. You know what I've learned? All the saints aren't very lovable. I had a pastor friend of mine who was one of my mentors. I was dealing with a difficult situation. He said, Mark, some people are just like porcupines. If you get too close to them, you're going to get pricked. You know, you're going to get poked. And that's what it's like sometimes. Yet these people here in Ephesus, it says, had it right. They loved all, it says all, the saints. And that's exactly what God wants for all of us, to love all the saints, 
to love everyone here at Portview Church, if it's your church family, and obviously it extends to the church in general also, but to love all the saints, even just at our local church. Friends, that's where unity starts and flourishes. But I'll tell you this. Loving all the saints is not natural. It's a supernatural thing. That's why Paul's saying it's a sign of maturity. Because love comes from the Spirit of God. The Bible describes it as a fruit. In other words, something that develops and is grown as you interact more with the Lord and He becomes more resident in your life, owning more property, basically, in your world, in your life. Love is what develops as, the, as, the, as we live a Spirit-formed lives, as we humbly surrender to the Holy Spirit's leadership, His character transforms our character and expression of that one of the expressions the main expression is love that comes from the inside out now obviously paul's looking at this and he's saying these people were living in step with the holy spirit because the spirit's character was being revealed in their lives through love and i would hope if someone wrote a letter about, visited portview church or got a report about us that they wrote a report about how are they doing spiritually how is their faith that somebody would say, you know what, these people are filled with love. You know what? Because that would be the greatest evidence of the Spirit-filled life that we could ever reveal. That'd be great, right? But what if it's not true? What if it's not true about you? What if it's not true that you can say, I love all the saints, meaning I will the best for all the saints? What if there are people in the family of God, maybe your very own family, that you don't really love that much. You secretly don't will the best for them. Secretly inside, you're kind of hoping they'll crash and burn. You can say, I told you so. Now, none of you ever feel that way, I know. I do sometimes. Not about people crashing and burning spiritually, but people who live certain ways. And you know, Maybe it's another pastor and I see him cutting corners and I'm just like, oh God, it doesn't make sense. He say, do I really love? You know, like the Ephesian believers, we need to be changed by the Holy Spirit. We need to ask Him who dwells within us to transform us on the inside, asking Him to spread His influence throughout our entire beings, surrendering all of our old thinking and our old hurts and our old defenses to Him and allowing the Holy Spirit to spread His influence through us, changing us, replacing maybe our fear with our ability his ability to love through us. Recognizing this, friends, that our lack of love is a good thing. Recognizing. I didn't say our lack of love is a good thing. I'm saying recognizing our lack of love is a good thing. It shows us that we need to grow. It's an invitation for us to invite the Holy Spirit to have more influence and activity and oversight and lordship in our lives. Because we want the Holy Spirit's character to become our character. So we recognize that maybe this red flag goes off and you say, do I love all the saints? You say, I really don't like, yeah, kind of, but not really that one. And so we ask the Holy Spirit, okay, develop love within me. But there's something else practical we do beyond that. That that has been very helpful to me in my life in trying to deal with this issue. Because I, I want to love all the saints. And when, I have, when, I'm, when I'm encountering the porcupine, 
And I'm just like, God, there's easier ways to deal with the porcupine than dancing with it. What you do with the porcupine is you get rid of it. You know, and God's saying, no, 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 no. Something practical. I asked the Holy Spirit to empower me to line up with truth. I'm going to explain what I mean by this. When I find I'm having a hard time loving someone in the family of God, I go through what I want to call a process of truth. A process of 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 talking through what I know is biblically true in my mind and saying, God, I need to line up with truth. It's, a, it's a, an activity I can do that will help bring transformation. And this is what I do. It has four steps to the process of truth that I go through. I remind myself of a few things that are true and that are non-negotiable. First one is this. I remind myself that God loves me unconditionally unconditionally and wants the best for me. That's the first line of my morning confession I pray through every day. God loves me unconditionally and he wants the best for me. I, you know what? I don't have a hard time with that one. Matter of fact, I would say this. When you can really believe that, when you really come to the place that you believe that to be true, it'll transform your walk with Jesus. That God loves me unconditionally, wants the best for me. I like that one. I go, Cool. God just doesn't like me in spite of me. God likes me the way I am. Yeah, he wants to help me grow to help so it's better for me and I can be more effective in the world. But guess what? He loves me even if I don't grow. He loves me unconditionally and he wants the best for me. And I say that first and I'm like, it's a good day. Then I go to the second thing that I know is true. I say this. God loves that other person unconditionally and he wants the best for them. I got a little harder, a more difficult time with this one. I go, but, 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 but God, do you know that they said this, did that, act like that, are doing this? And then I remember, oh, wait a minute. So do I. And I want him to love me unconditionally. I think he ought to, I, the Bible says that he loves me unconditionally, and I want to embrace it and go, that's awesome. And then I recognize the other person, and I go, well, then it's got to be true about them. God loves me unconditionally and wants the best for me. The truth is God loves them unconditionally and wants the best for them. Well, that sometimes I wrestle through it, but I, but I say it's truth. I choose to line up with truth. I, choose to, I think of it this way, almost like little soldiers in a line, and I go, here's truth. I'm lining up in the line of truth because it's the best way to live. It's the right way to live. It's the way to maturity and growth and blessing. So I say, okay, I'm going to line up with this truth. God loves them unconditionally, and he wants the best for them, which oftentimes that leads me to pray for them but I, just, I, I confess that it's truth. Then I come to the third point of truth. The truth is this. It's an if-then statement. If, I love, if God loves someone unconditionally and I don't love them unconditionally, then one of us must be wrong. If God loves me unconditionally and God loves them unconditionally and I don't love them unconditionally, I don't love them, then one of us must be wrong. That's the third statement. It's just a statement. That's true, right? And then I ask number four a question. Who's wrong? You ever sat in a situation where you're confronted by truth and you conclude that you're wrong or God's wrong? Who do you think is wrong? 
Could you ever in a right mind go, well, God must be wrong? <laughs> you don't have an option. The answer is there for you. It's truth. You're wrong. And when I understand that I'm wrong, I can deal with that. I can say, God, help me. Here's one of the problems. Some, a lot of times we act in certain ways. We have no clue that we're wrong. Go through a process like this. It helps me understand that I am wrong. And again, wrong not in a way to make me feel bad because then I remind myself every time, but wait, God loves me unconditionally and he wants the best for me. So God's not mad at me because I'm wrong. God just saying, Mark, I want you to become right. And then I surrender to the Holy Spirit under his lordship. And I say, okay, God, transform me on the inside. Make me different. Help me think different. What do I have to do different so that I line up with the truth in this? Because I can't live a life of dissonance that tells me I think God is wrong because I know God's right. So it's a process of truth that I go through. I bring myself to the truth. Truth is God loves all my Christian brothers and sisters and it's his plan for his spirit in me to cause me to love them also. Because it forces me to deal with what I want to call unlove. You know another name for unlove? Unforgiveness. Causes me to deal with unlove every day. Unforgiveness. Because I have to pray every day and I pray through the Lord's Prayer. And I hope if you pray the Lord's Prayer... You don't use it like uh, just some you know, machine gun. You pray through it and you're done. I pray through every sentence and I pray about it and I think about it and I meditate and I do it every single day. And I come to this one every day and I'm like, ugh, forgive us our trespasses as, as we forgive those who trespass against us. I line up with truth here, God. I love your grace. I need your forgiveness. I love to live in this idea that you love me unconditionally. It's the truth of God's word. But God, you love them unconditionally too. You know what this does every day? It causes me to live in a state where the slate gets clean with all people every day. You know what that expression comes from, the slate is clean? It's from an old chalkboard. Where there's stuff written on the chalkboard. Or you had a slate in school and you wrote... <laughs> You kids, you understand this? That some people went to school, instead of having iPads, they had a slate. That's way before me. They had a slate, and they wrote on a slate. Yes, they did their arithmetic on the slate, and then they wiped it clean, okay? Kids, uh, boys use their shirt probably, I'm not sure. That's what this causes me to do every day. I wipe the slate clean every day. I don't let any unlove or unforgiveness settle into my life. Friends, love grows and flows in that type of spiritual environment. That's what God wants for us. So we see these Ephesian Christians had it right. They loved all the saints, and a great expression, which was a great expression of the validity of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so before Paul ever begins to pray. He just thanks God for this. He says, thank you, God. So I give thanks to God. He praises God for this. So he begins this prayer with this expression of thanks to God for these faith-filled, loving Christians. And then he begins to ask God for certain things, for petitions for these people. And that's what the whole rest of the paragraph that we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks is about. The request that Paul makes 
to God on the behalf of the Ephesian church, which we are saying that these are important to us then. What I want to do today in just the last few minutes, because it ties in so much with this, what we talked about, I want to talk about the first request that he makes. I was going to do it with the rest, but it, it flows out of this, and I, and I want to tie it together. So I want us just to look at the first request that Paul makes for these people. It's verse 17. It's what I referred to earlier that Suzanne had quoted. Verse 17, he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Look what Paul prays for. He prays for increase. The very first thing, the very first petition after praise and thanksgiving is he prays for an increased knowledge of God for these people. Now I want you to, to stop and think about this for a moment. Paul has just finished, that's why I want to deal with it now, he's just finished giving thanks to God for these people because they are obviously doing well spiritually. The hallmarks of faith are evident. They have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and they love all the saints. Yet now Paul, his very first request, Paul asked God to give them a greater knowledge of Him. To give them a greater knowledge, he says, of the Father of glory. Wouldn't that bring a question up in your mind? If these people already know God and are already doing well spiritually, why would Paul ask for a greater knowledge of God? It's because of this, friends. It's because there is always more to know and experience with God. I think this should act as a, as in, in essence, as a warning to us, um, as, or maybe a challenge is a better word, to those of us who have walked with Jesus for a while. Friends, there's never a day when we can say, well, you know what, there's nothing more to discover for me, so I've got it all figured out. And you know, the general thing is that we say, so the things of God, which are generally tied to the church, they're not that important anymore to me. I, I, I know it all. Friends, here's what Paul's trying to communicate. He's trying to say, listen, they do have it going on. But he prays for them that they would know more because he understands God is so vast and so majestic that to know God is a lifelong, matter of fact, it's an eternity-long journey, a continual learning, discovering experience. And I, I thank God for that because I would hate my job if it stopped when I left Bible college and seminary. I would hate it if there was nothing more. But I can honestly say, the greatest growth days in my life spiritually are now. I just, maybe I thought back then I learned a lot because you ramp up quick. But the real discovery of God comes after you've walked with Him for a while. But here's the deal, Paul's trying to say, you can't just assume you know it all. There's a challenge here. Saying more. Friends, salvation and, and the foundational beliefs of Christianity that are just kind of, we check the box up. Oh, I got that one, got that one, got that one. They're kind of the big things that everybody can see around you. That's just the starting point. At salvation, Scripture's clear. We understand you're just a baby that needs to grow and to mature. But here's the deal. That growth process, process is never supposed to stop. That's why, church, we all need things like Trek, this class we're starting on Monday nights real soon. We all need things like our Wednesday night class, this good and beautiful God class that we're doing, and it's limited to 15 people and it's getting near full. It will transform your life going through it. That's why you need to be in church on Sunday morning and worship and interact with Ephesians. It's why connect groups are so important. 
to interact with people, a place to belong and to grow and to serve. Why? They're opportunities for growth. Yet it's a reality that just is the reality of our, of our culture. Maybe it's always been. I have no idea. I think it always has been because Paul's talking about it 2,000 years ago. So he's saying, yeah, you're not that much different than they've ever been. It's a reality that a lot of Christians just get saved and stuck. Never growing beyond their spiritual infancy. Yeah, you got, maybe, I say spiritual adolescence. Because you can at least navigate. You can walk around. But never really coming to spiritual adulthood. That's what Paul is getting at here. He wants Christians to have a true and a growing knowledge of God. A real, deep, and ever-growing experience with the God of glory, he said. You know, Paul's not just talking about intellectual knowledge here, saying, oh, I've got it all memorized. But he's talking about a growing experience with the Lord. You know what? I was thinking about this. It's something like what we see in the life of Job. Most of us are all probably familiar with Job in the Bible. What it says about Job is that for years, Job had known God. Matter of fact, he was the shining example of what it was to walk with God. God's looking at the devil and going, check that guy out. He's got it going on. Job worshipped God. He led his children to know God. He was a righteous man. But then it says he was put to the test. All he had was taken away. His possessions, his family, his health. And it was through that experience of tragedy that he came to be at a new and higher place in his relationship with God. Listen to what Job says. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is from Job, of all places. And he writes this after he lived for God all these years. Everything was taken away. He wrestles with God. He's mad at God. He yells at God. And God just smacks him and says, Oh, who are you? And he says this, Job 42.5. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible. He says, I have heard of thee, Job talking to God. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. But now my eye sees thee. He's talking about a transition. He's talking about a transformation. He's saying basically, I had known all this stuff before. I had, I had heard all these things. But he's saying now it's personal. But now... My eye sees thee. Job, this man of great faith, becomes a man of greater, richer, and more genuine faith. That's what Paul wants for these precious saints in Ephesus. And friends, that's what Paul wants for us. And what an interesting prayer Paul prays here. He doesn't pray for health or wealth for the people but rather for a greater revelation of God himself for these people. Something that Paul, from, from his own life, knows often is learned through struggle where everything else is stripped away. One more little illustration of how that works, and we'll close. You guys know, because we showed a video last week, you know, Brett and Miranda are in Cambodia right now, and they're having a go of it almost three weeks into their third week, and they have been sick. They have both have dengue fever. Um, it's horrible. They're getting better, praise the Lord. 
But it's been, it's been a nightmare. Like we're here to serve in an orphanage and we just can't even get out of bed hardly. They've been trying to half days go and serve. And it's been, it's been tough. I mean, they're struggling. It's hard. You know, Brett's, you know, you, you talk to him. One of the wonders and the, and the curses of, of technology is you can sit and talk to your, your baby boy. He's 20, but he's, a, he's our baby in a squalor pit in Cambodia and go, and he's, and he's just dying in front of you. are looking at him. He's just sick. He's like, oh, I just vomited. You know, he's putting the thing up. He's in the bathroom vomiting, you know. And he keeps telling you, but we're having a great time. <laughs> and, uh, and this has been, as people have said, what do you think? This is what I keep going to. They're, they're going to know God better than they ever did. Because they're going through a hard, they're going through a hard time now. God doesn't say, "I want to force you all." Well, maybe He does to strip junk away. He did for Job. I think what they're going to learn is they're going to say, "You know what? I had heard about Him from my mom and dad, but I've come to know Jesus living in Cambodia." Friends, the point is this: God wants us to grow. And the temptation is always to say, I want to pray for someone that everything's just going to be blessed and easy. Everything's good and great. That's America. You know what? A lot of times real growth happens through the struggles we walk through. Some of you are walking through those struggles today. Suzanne felt compelled. She asked me before church if she could kind of talk about what she did. And, and she didn't explain it all, but she said, I just feel like I need to talk about some people are having struggles. The struggles you're going through, sometimes you look at them and you say, the struggles are a sign that God's not with me. I'm telling you, the struggles are a sign that God loves you so much, he's taking you through because he wants to help you be like Job. But here's the deal. You can get bitter and you can pout and you can flail along like a little baby, which is human nature. Or you can line up with the truth. You can say, God loves me and he wants the best for me. And God... I'm right, you're a good and beautiful God. I'm right in the palm of your hands. God, you've not abandoned me. So what in the world are you trying to teach me? And you look at life a little different. You say, okay, not, because this is what people do in our church world. What did you do wrong? Oh, something's wrong in your life. What did you do wrong that something's going wrong in your life? I'm telling you, oftentimes things go wrong because you're doing everything right. It's surely true in Job's life. I know that's not the American evangelical gospel. Guess why? Because they're wrong. It's not, this is Bible. Does God love us as he bless us? He does. My life is a ridiculous string of the blessings of God. It's almost embarrassing to talk about the blessings of God I've seen in my life. Because I, I, I feel bad. Because people go, well, what about me? I'm like, I don't know. I usually say, well, take a risk or two for God and maybe you'll see God come through. But here's the deal. God has his goal for you is to know Him. It can sometimes come through struggle. He wants the very best for you. I want to end today by praying Paul's prayer over you. I'm going to invite you to stand with me today. And I'm going to start way back at the beginning because I think it's true about Portview Church. And I want you just to, matter of fact, for some of you, this might be hard. You don't have to do this. But I want you to even assume a posture of receptivity. If I was going to give you, if right now I was going to say, I'm throwing you a big, huge sack of money, you'd go, 
<laughs> None of you would go, well, I didn't really want that sack of a million dollars. Historically, you know, Bible talks with the Holy Hand. We show receptivity by being open. And it's not that you have to do that, but I think it's a sign of hunger. Let's just close our eyes and turn our hands with our palms up. It's a sign of receptivity. And I want to pray Paul's prayer, the beginning part of his prayer, over you. Matter of fact, I'm going to go a little further in the text than than we did today, but I want us to receive this today from the Lord. So we pray. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe. Heavenly Father, we ask you that you, God, would help us to receive all that you have for us. That, Lord, you truly would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, our Father of glory. And that, God, each one in this place who's everyone at a completely different spot of their development that each one of us God as we're open to you that Lord you would begin to show us more of your goodness and your grace your mercy your unfailing love and that God there would be this sense of a, of a spirit of wisdom and revelation that would be birthed inside of us and that God, we as individuals, but us as a church, that God, we would advance with you. That God, we would grow up into maturity. And that Father, we would be, uh, we would reveal the signs of your, of your, of your presence fully in our lives of of having a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and having a love for all the saints. And that that God would transcend into changing our lives completely. So Father, I pray stir up a gift of a spirit of wisdom and revelation within us today so that we may see you more. That the things of the world will slip away. That the things that once enamored us we recognize they're not all that great. That what's really great is knowing the God of glory. And so God, I pray this for us today. May it be according to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Church,
I think maybe you would want to spend some time just in surrender before the Lord. I invite you, if you feel so compelled, to come and to spend some time in prayer. If you want to come to the front and pray, I always think that's a good thing. Spend some time in prayer before you run off. Before we do that, I have one question to ask. Maybe you're here today, been talking all this stuff about lives of maturing in Christ. But you know this about yourself. You know that you do not know Jesus as your Savior. You've never come to a place, or maybe you did, you thought you did, and you walked away from it years ago, but you've never really come to a place, you're not living in a place today where Jesus is the core of your life. You're not following Him, you're following whatever else in your life. I'm not saying you don't go to church. It doesn't matter one lick if you go to church every single week. This is about a relationship with the living God. But you say, I really don't have a relationship with the living God. But something inside of you today is saying, this is what I need. The scripture says this, what that feeling inside is, is the Holy Spirit. The Bible says no man comes to the Son unless the Father pulls him. And that's a pulling by the, from the Father by the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I'm calling you by name. Matter of fact, I'm going to talk about that next week, how salvation always starts with the Lord. It's not self-centered. It's God-centered. God is calling you. And He's saying, come to me. I want you to be my child. If that's you today, I want to give you a chance to respond. Simply by doing this, I want to pray with you. You say, Pastor Mark, you know what? I need that prayer. I want to I wanna pray. Not me praying for you, but me leading you in prayer. You say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. I want you just to slip up your hand. When I see your hand, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out. Okay. You put your hand down then. Okay. Anybody else? We're going to pray a prayer. I would invite the whole congregation to pray this morning. Let's all pray. You who raised your hands, just pray this from the depths of your heart. Let's pray this. Dear Jesus, I know that I need you. And so today, I ask you into my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to make me brand new. And from this day forward, I want to live with you. I'm not even sure what that means fully. But I trust you to lead me along the way. So on this day, I turn from my old life and I want to begin to follow you, Jesus. So make me brand new. In Jesus' name.